Hello Tea Crew and welcome to a brand new episode of Tea Talk with Sha. Today we're going to be talking about all the trending topics all over social media and the internet and we're also going to be doing a deep dive into the Lula Rich documentary. So you're not going to want to miss this one. Stay tuned. All right, T-Crew, let's get right into these trending topics because there's a lot going on. So the first one, Candy and Todd's restaurants, um, the tax lien has increased to over $20,000 against their restaurants. So let's start at the beginning. Like, where? how did we get here? Candy and Todd have a business called Burris Tucker Restaurant Group, LLC. And this group that they have you know, made together as a married couple, owns two restaurants in Atlanta, Georgia. OLG, the Old Lady Gang, and Blaze Seafood and Steakhouse. So in the state of Georgia, you're required to pay your taxes quarterly on your businesses. And at first I was like, that's kind of weird, but being um, a homeowner, but if you pay your um if you're paying your taxes through your mortgage payments, you know, you just pay your mortgage payments and your mortgage company takes care of all that. Since they're rich and they own the building <laughs> and they paid outright, they probably don't have a mortgage on these properties. They have to, they're required to pay quarterly. They have to pay a certain amount every quarter. So it looks from the documents like every quarter they have to pay around $5,000. Um, they didn't pay in the first quarter. It was kind of reported that they hadn't paid it. Then that news quieted down. So everybody had assumed that they paid it. They in fact did not pay it. And now that lien has increased from 5,000 to over $20,000 in the last three quarters. Now what's $20,000 to a millionaire? Absolutely nothing, but there's a little more to the story. Unfortunately, now OL gang, the old lady gang, their rating in their restaurant rating sits at a C, you know, um, exemplary, excellent restaurants sit at an A rating and they haven't had an A rating since February of 2021. So, you know, this, the status of the restaurant has been declining and in the blaze restaurant they have been closed recently for a couple weeks due to health code violations so it's really causing fans to wonder what is the management like at blaze and olg that they can't seem to get the simple things right but i will say that candy is a very very busy businesswoman she's had her hands in broadway lately i think she's somehow associated with that um the colored man play, the voice of a colored man play or something like that and Broadway that she's working with. So I think she's turned over these managing duties to someone else. And now things have started to decline since she's been shifting her focus other places. You know, people in Atlanta have said they've been known to seen to see the old lady gang, you know, her mom and her aunts and stuff in the restaurant all the time. Candy and Todd frequent the restaurant all the time. So they kind of keep the star power in the restaurants and keep the chatter going. Um, but to have a C rating for a celebrity restaurant is pretty low, especially having held that C rating for months and months. I mean, February to now we're in October. That's a long time to have a C rating for a restaurant that I'm sure you're paying top dollar for the food and the service there. 
There was also earlier in the year, um, the complaint about being charged for ice. And, um, that was at the blaze steakhouse restaurant. And since then candy has cleared that up, um, with the gentleman who brought up that claim, but there's just been a lot going on at their restaurants. I mean, you know, it looks like Real Housewives of Atlanta is filming. Candy's one of the few housewives that is returning. So it's like with her attention going so many places, just hope that she's able to keep her restaurants up. Because, you know, previous to this, people reported going to her restaurants, having a good time, um, seeing celebrities there, or the food just being generally good. So I don't know, maybe there's just a couple slip ups or with her attention shifting to Broadway. Maybe a couple things fell through the cracks. I would just say hire a good manager. Restaurants are a lot of work. You're an entrepreneur. You have many things going on. Todd has many things going on. And to think that you guys could be so hands-on as you were was great. But if you can't be that hands-on anymore, then, you know, that's fine too. Just hire a restaurant manager that you trust that can get in there and just clean these issues up. All right, let's move on to the next topic that everybody's been talking about. Kourtney Kardashian and Travis Barker are engaged, y'all. And everybody is super happy about it. Kylie took to her Instagram stories to gush about the couple. Tamar even went on her social media and said, you know, God, I see what you're doing for other people. (laughs) And I want it for me as well. Um, This is Courtney's first engagement. I know people think this is her second, um, but her and Scott were actually never engaged. So this is her first engagement. And um, speaking of Scott, Scott is apparently sick over the news. He's just completely distraught, even though he's been dating teenagers. And that's not allegedly. Scott has been dating 19 year olds. Um, <laughs> so for him to question who she's going to be with and stuff like that, I think Endgame, Scott always thought that him and Courtney would be together. They have two, no, they have three children together. And I just think that ultimately he thought he was going to be able to get Courtney back, but it seems like Travis has swept her off her feet and there's no hope for Scott anymore. Um, of course the internet sleuths saw that the engagement was being filmed as Courtney reached in to hug Travis, I guess, at the dinner after their engagement, people saw the microphone on her back and there was some, um, there were some boom mics and stuff like that in the background of some of the pictures that the sisters are putting on their social media. So it's obvious that they are once again filming. I just feel like this is such a joke. Like they did this whole farewell, like we can't have our story on TV anymore. And it's, it's too much, you know, with the divorce and having the kids on camera and the divorce and all that only to come back and now have this show with Hulu where they're going to be doing the same thing. I literally can not. I mean, that's one thing about the Kardashians. They know how to get to the bag. So, you know, I, I'm extremely happy for the couple. I just, you know what it is for me, and I'm about to age myself. I remember when Travis and Shanna, um, Shanna also got off social media as soon as the engagement was released. Um, the engagement news was released. Shanna, his ex-wife, I remember when they had a show on MTV of like them falling in love and them getting married. And it was like so cute and, 
you know, I mean, it's a reality show, so you got to take it with a grain of salt, but it's just like, I just remember like them being that cute, like alternative rock couple that everybody wanted to be like, they were like so here for each other. They had a daughter together and everything. And that just ended like terribly. They hate each other. The daughter hates them. You know what I mean? And so it was just like, I don't know. It was, it was cute to see, but it kind of went up in flames. I just don't want that to happen to Courtney, but they seem like a really good couple and every couple is not the same. And sometimes you grow and mature and, you know, you have a different outcome, but it's just like history repeating itself, right? He was on the reality show with Shanna. Everything was boom, boom, good and popping. And then later things just got like terrible. Now he's on the reality show and he's involved with the Kardashians. And you know, Chris was all in the mix. Like Chris was there setting things up, getting things popping. (laughs) I just, I don't know. I want to be happy for them like everybody else, but this is how my mind works, (laughs) y'all. All right, let's go to the next I'm insane. Y'all don't hate me. All right. So the next topic, Sydney Starr and Darius McRae are dating or nah. So if you don't know, Darius McRae is Eddie Winslow from the Family Matters. I feel like I'm going to call him Eddie for the rest of this because that's how everybody else knows him. And when I see the name Darius, it doesn't trigger anything. You know what I mean? So Sydney Starr and Eddie Winslow basically um, <laughs> did a photo shoot where Sydney was flirting with him, twerking on him a little bit, and it was supposed to be a photo shoot to promote an upcoming project that the two have out. Now, Sydney, in addition to being a reality star, she was just on ATL Baddies, but she was also on the Fox show Star you know, the Queen Latifah show where they were making a girl group. So Sydney Starr was also in that show and she has been dipping her toe into the acting pond. She's been acting more and stuff like that. So, you know, they just, the Shade Room posted it and they just basically said they're doing a photo shoot to promote their new show that's coming out. So, you know, nobody thought anything of it. Every day is going on. Sydney then comes in the comments and says that, um, Eddie is her boo thing. And they have been dating um, for almost a year now. They're extremely happy. He doesn't consider her to be a trans woman, that he considers her to just be a beautiful woman. And that's all that he cares about. And that's all that he sees when he looks at Sydney. So a lot of people had a lot of different reactions um, to her saying that. I, for one, was happy for her. I mean, She's highly entertaining as a reality star, but she seems like a decent actress as well. She's a beautiful woman. And if that's who he wants to date, that's who he wants to date. I mean, people are going in the comments, like commenting about it, but we all know Eddie has made some interesting choices as far as who he wants to date and marry. For a while there, he was married to Corinne Steffens. So if you don't know who she is, <laughs> go look her up. I'm not even getting into that. Um... But yeah, you know, he's always made interesting choices in who he dates and who he wants to be around. So I really didn't think anything of it. But apparently Eddie's team um, did not like that she was going and making these allegations. And they definitely denied the fact that the two are dating. They denied all the allegations that they're dating. They said that Sydney is desperate for media attention. She'll do anything to have a story. And so the two are definitely not dating. Obviously, they're working on some kind of project together because the video of them 
taking pictures and stuff together was real, but you know, they just deny that the two are romantically linked at all. So I don't know. After that, uh, came out, the denial came out. Sydney hasn't said anything. So maybe it was a situation where Eddie didn't want people to know, or I don't know. It's just, it's, it's interesting, but people said that when she did her music video release or something that she had recently, that Eddie was there. And people that were close to the star, sit close to star said that he was there supporting her. So I don't know who to believe. Um, but those, that's what his team said. And that's what she said. So I guess we'll see more as the story develops. All right, let's move on to the next topic. Nick Cannon will not be replacing Wendy Williams. Um, after his daytime talk show came in with low ratings and the temporary host will be Leah Remedy. So this has happened before when Wendy Williams isn't able to do her show, they bring in a slew of guest hosts. They usually have one, you know, one per week or one per few days, you know, they mix it up the different guest hosts that come in. But, um, for those closely paying attention, Nick Cannon had a, or has a daytime talk show on right now. And he was in that short list of people to actually replace Wendy, not on a temporary basis, but really replace her. So they gave him a daytime talk show in a similar time slot to see what his numbers would do. And if he, you know, could be a replacement for Wendy Williams and the numbers came back too low. So Nick Cannon is not going to be replacing Wendy Williams. Um, and Leah Remedy is only going to be replacing her on a temporary basis, probably for about a week, maybe less. Um, you know, I did a poll on the T talk with shot Instagram page and you all, the majority of you all said you wanted Nick Cannon to replace Wendy Williams and you thought you, it would be a good fit. This is the thing, right? Nick Cannon checks off a lot of boxes. He gives you that Ellen vibe. He gives you that, um, Kelly Clarkson vibe, that Rachel Ray vibe that like, good morning, everybody. Like, let's get into this stuff. But as far as the hot topic section, I think you call it the what's popping section. It wasn't, it wasn't giving what Wendy gives. And I was listening to up and Adam, um, earlier tonight. And basically I think somebody said, and I forget who it was. They literally said on the panel, they were just like, Wendy has made it impossible for someone to replace her because nobody can do what she does. And honestly, I'm starting to feel that way. There's when I heard Leah, I was like, Oh, Leah, a better choice than Nick, but still not my favorite, but we'll see what the numbers come in as, because you know, the group that owns the Wendy Williams show, isn't going to wait forever um, for her to get healthy. And so they're going to push somebody up there. And if Leah gets good ratings, then, you know, the job might be hers. So you all just have to wait around and see what's going to happen. Um, and I just, I mean, I told you guys on the Instagram page who my picks would be Jason Lee or Armand Wiggins. I mean, some people don't think they're famous enough or they couldn't carry a daytime talk show, but I think given a chance, especially given, you know, six or 10 episodes, even people that never knew them, had no idea who they were, didn't follow their YouTube careers. I think they could pick up on them very, very quickly because of just the infectious way they tell the news and they give their takes on the stories without being malicious, but definitely 
you know, giving their insight here and there. And I think that that's, the person has to be a pop culture expert. It can't just be a celebrity that they push up there and they're like, they're a celebrity. So they know everything about that's, that's honestly what I think Leah is going to be lacking because she has the edge. She has the wit, but is she a pop culture junkie to stay up and watch these different shows and watch these different documentaries, look through these gossip blogs and really look through the comments and like, see what people are saying, see what's hitting, see what's not hitting. You need a person that's going to do all of that. And I just don't feel like anybody that they've brought up so far has it. Just like that girl said on Up and Adam. Wendy has made herself indispensable and this is why they've waited all these weeks and they're trying to scramble here and there for temporary hosts because as soon as she's cleared medically, they're going to push her back up there because very few people, if any, could do what she does. Um, and she's been doing it for so long and it's really her true love. It's her passion. You know what I mean? And so many people just get up there and be like, yep, I can read the teleprompter. I'll tell you what's going on. But if you don't know those little intricacies and if you can't give this spice and sass that people have grown accustomed to it's like I mean why do we watch what separates you from an Ellen from a Kelly Clarkson from a Drew Barrymore or any other daytime shows that are on today what makes you different you know so that was a little bit of a rant, but um, I think you guys know where I'm coming from also you know if they're listening I'd be open to do the show what? I would quit my job today. Run to that purple chair. You hear me? All right. <laughs> so let's get into the next topic. Oh my gosh, guys, this is going to be an off the rails episode. I don't know. I don't know. It's seeming like it. I don't know if it will be though. All right. So the millennium tour is pushing on and the guys are fighting. They are fighting. So this all started with a press release where um, I think it's called the State Farm Arena was welcoming Bow Wow back and they hadn't had Bow Wow perform there in a number of years. So they were just saying the State Arena welcomes Bow Wow back and we can't wait to have him here. And then um, it also had more to say. It's like he's coming back with Amorion, Lloyd. And it went into, you know, a full press release of the tour, who's coming, you know, what other acts are going to be there, what time it is, how people are excited for the tour, the regular press release things about a concert, right? So then Amorion slid into the comments and he said that actually Bow Wow is coming back to the State Farm Arena, but he's coming back with me. It's my tour and I'm bringing him with me to the State Farm Arena. So this, of course, you know, developed some controversy among the acts and Bow Wow started saying, you know, he's the best to ever do it. He, it, he made the Scream Tours. He invented the Scream Tours. It was him and his ingenuity that decided that instead of trying to tour against each other, that all the, um, you know, B2K and Soldier Boy and whoever else was popular at the time, we should all tour together so we can just sweep up all this money. Now, to be fair, I do believe that Bow Wow had a lot to do with the Scream Tour and how it was set up. I mean, Bow Wow and B2K were like the headlining acts of the Scream Tour for so long that it was truly about them. Like other groups were there and that was fine, but it was really about seeing, you know, B2K and 
Bow Wow. And then after B2K broke up, it was like Amorion and Bow Wow and then Chris Brown and Bow Wow. And so, you know, it was Bow Wow was always in the conversation, basically. So after that, Pretty Ricky chimed in and they were just like, oh, little Bow Wow, like sit down. You know, people come to see maybe you and Amorion headline, but what they leave talking about is me getting naked. So basically... <laughs> <laughs> I've seen this tour. Pretty Ricky does get naked during their set. And um, it's definitely something to talk about for sure. People start going crazy or whatever. So he chimed in and put his two cents in. And then Sammy said, you know, you can't have a millennium tour or even have a conversation about R&B in the early 2000s without mentioning him. So it's just a bunch of guys with a bunch of different egos. And I feel like they were coming at each other in a way to promote their big Atlanta show. They had a bunch of guest stars on the Atlanta show. Um, just tons of people came out. JD, the brat, um, trying to think who else came out that I care about. <laughs> well, there were other people there, so you got to look into that, but there was a lot of people there. They did so many, um, different songs because they all had songs with each other. Sammy and soldier boy kiss me through the phone. And then they did, um, welcome to Atlanta because Jermaine Dupree was there. The brat was there and and bow wow so they did they they're redoing all these songs i think little scrappy and trill bill were there just like so many people were there it's like insane it's honestly making me want to get tickets but i think that's the point right is promoting the show whether it's drama whether it's guest appearances whatever situation it's promoting to get tickets because after all this went down i myself was looking in the comment i was like oh should i get tickets like let me see what's going on with the tickets for this um because it's being so publicized now there's a little drama going on guest appearances or whatever so they know what they're doing to hype up the tour there are a lot of tickets available um so this could be their way of hyping up the tour and getting more tickets sold so that's the case it's working because i might be reporting live (laughs) when they come around here um so the last topic summer walker slams her label after they pushed her to release her first single off her new album still over it um reason she's their ex for a reason x for a reason is the name of the song featuring jatavia jt of the city girls and it was a fast song the fans weren't really feeling it you know i've never loved summer walker's fast songs i just don't but her slow songs hit so hard for me and not even slow, slow and mid-tempo songs um, just hit so hard. So I don't know. I think the label was thinking, you know, City Girls are hot. This is featuring a City Girl. We're going to push this as the leading single. And Summer didn't want that. She wanted another song that's going to be on the record called Toxic. Uh, we haven't heard that, not even a snippet. So it's nothing to compare it to. But I don't know. I think generally the artists know what they need to release or what they want to release. But I think that's also why you have to be vocal in the booth, because if there's a song that you really didn't like and you recorded it, you don't really know what they're going to do with that song. So you should try at least to record things you like, but you know, once you're in a contract, you do what you do, what you're told basically. And, um, since her and London have broke up, you know, London is not on the track and that's apparent and, um, sad. I don't like, I know they have a child together and things didn't work out, but I would love for them to still work together musically because I just think there's something so 
magical about the two of them together. I don't know. Maybe in the future they can work it out. Right now they seem to be really, you know, angry at each other and that makes sense and I get it. But I'm hoping that in the future they can work it out because that music was everything. And this music's like, okay, but it's just not, you know, not hitting the way the other music did. All right, so those are the trending topics for this week. Stay tuned for our sports report. All right, T-Crew, it's my favorite part of the podcast, and you know this. It's time for the deep dive. And today we're going to be talking about the Lula Rich documentary, which is a documentary that Amazon did about LuLaRoe, the legging company that sold their leggings through a multi-level marketing type of business structure. So basically this documentary was just everything. Like they had everything, but there were certain things that they kind of brushed over and certain things that really affected the communities that I'm a part of. So they definitely pinged off to me. So I want to touch on those things in addition to just the general craziness that was or slash is LuLaRoe and we'll get to that so I finally got to this four-part documentary that each part is about an hour long so it's like four or five hours worth of um you know learning about LuLaRoe how they started their business who the starter who the founders were and stuff like that so they start off with the owners Deanne and Mark and Deanne and Mark are Mormons. They have a ton of kids. They have like 14 kids. Some, you know, were from her. I think she had seven kids from her previous marriage. He had kids from his previous marriage. They ended up having kids together. And then she adopted several other children. Now of these adopted children, she, two of them ended up getting married. And that was something they completely brushed over in the documentary. They were like, yeah, we were surprised. But what people don't understand is that our daughter was away at college when we adopted her brother. She came back from college and fell in love with him. And they ended up getting married and having kids. I was just like, so we're just going to brush over the fact that two of your adopted kids married each other. And they were careful to say that they don't have any blood relation, but it's like you adopted them. You adopted the daughter. She went off to school. Then you adopted another child. And so even though they weren't raised in the same household or they weren't blood related, they were still brother and sister. And that was okay with y'all. So that was the, that was the first red flag for me. I was like, so they're going to really spill all on this documentary. And I think what Amazon did perfectly was they pitched this as a story of, you know, hard times that happened in the business, but overall just two entrepreneurs trying to make it in America. And they had this wildly successful business that kind of grew too fast, but they were good people. So um, Dina and Mark went into this interview thinking that it was just going to be something that just exposed them as wonderful people and amazing entrepreneurs that grew something from nothing, right? So they're sitting down for this interview and they're telling all because in the beginning, when you see the clips in the trailer, I'm like, how did they get them to sit down and do this? And then when they start talking, it starts to make sense that they're thinking that this is going to be a puff piece for them, their business, their way of life. 
and being Mormon entrepreneurs, when at the end of the day, they were just kind of leading them to lambs to the slaughter. It was crazy. And also another little tidbit, they didn't do their second interview. So what Amazon did was they spliced in their definite, their deposition versus the state of Washington who sued them um, for having a pyramid scheme. And they spliced that in as basically like a second interview. It was crazy. I can't. Amazon, you're crazy. Um, <laughs> so the LuLaRue name is after um, three of Deanne and Mark's grandkids. And basically the company started when Deanne started making sons like um, skirts, like summer skirts in her home with different fabric. And she would make, you know, just three sizes, small, medium, and large she just make these little skirts. You know the skirts I'm talking about. You can wear them with a tank top or like a t-shirt in the summer. They have a nice little elastic waistband and they're flowy and just like pop them on and go type of thing um, in the summer and spring that we just love, right? So these skirts were selling really fast. She was selling them on social media out of the back of her trunk. You know, whatever fabric was available, she was using it and she was making these skirts. And I think that's where the crazy patterns come from in the leggings because Leanne was going to the fabric store and she was sending her husband, Mark, to the fabric store and just getting yards and yards and yards of whatever was the cheapest fabric and sewing skirts out of them. And as soon as she could sew them, she'd put them on Facebook. So it became this whole thing of if you like a print, you have to buy that print because you don't know when you'll see it again. And that was something that carried them through and help them sell so many leggings. So that's where they started off with it. And I guess as different um, women started to see the skirts, they were saying, oh, you know, how do we get these skirts? Can I buy a box or so, so I can sell them to my friends? And then of course the light bulb went off in Deanne's mind and she was like, okay, yeah, you know, you can sell them and you can buy them wholesale from me and sell them to your friends at retail and make a profit. So I guess they were buying them for like $15 and selling them for 25 or something like that. So they were buying them wholesale from Deanne boxes at a time and then selling them to their friends. So this company grew into making leggings. They didn't really talk about how it went from skirts to leggings, but I guess the company also makes dresses and other things, but leggings were their hot item you could say. So as the company grew, they, they realized that they could make more money on the onboarding packages versus selling the clothes. So the onboarding packages, we could just start there for a second. LuLaRue is one of the most expensive buy-ins that you've ever heard of for a multi-level marketing company, which is basically where you are getting people to buy a product from you. And you're also recruiting people to be on your team so that as a team, you can make money. You make money from the people that you bring onto your team and the person that brought you on makes money from you. And that's what makes the pyramid because you got to think about it. You're on top of three people, right? And the person above you has three of you. And that's how they build the pyramid up into the multi-level marketing company that was a pyramid scheme for all intents and purposes like they they don't want to say it but they know it you know people that work there said absolutely I got money from 
recruiting, I barely broke even with the clothes because you have to buy the clothes and you have to sell the clothes, but you have to buy so much of the clothes that you really can't make that much money back. So that goes back to the onboarding packages. They went from 5000 to about $15,000 and they would send you all these clothes that you can sell on Facebook or to your friends if you have like clothing parties or however you want to sell it, but you have to sell all these clothes um, <laughs> to basically advance in the business or just get people to work for you that will buy the package. And they had a few different people talking in the documentary about how many people they would onboard per day. They wanted so many people to onboard per day and the craziness in the height of LuLaRoe, there were so many people willing to pay for the clothing packages. They couldn't get the clothes out fast enough. They had a waiting list of people waiting to pay five to $15,000 on the onboarding packages so they could start selling clothes. It was just like, you know, people clearing out whole rooms of their houses so they could have their clothing stockpile in there and they could do their, you know, YouTube lives and their Facebook lives and start selling their clothes. It was like literally insane. It was crazy. Um, you know, so the owners continued to deny any wrongdoing. The common theme was we just grew too fast, too quick. We didn't know what we were doing. And because of that, a lot of people got hurt in the process. Um, so another thing we kind of brushed over that was in the documentary that they didn't really talk about too much was the exclusion of people of color and the fat phobia that went on in the company. So Deanne herself went away to have some type of body surgery. They didn't say if it was a BBL or, you know, lipo, whatever the case, Deanne went away and had this surgery in Tijuana. And she encouraged other reps of LuLaRoe to go and have this done as well. Especially, you know, she said, if you're making money, if you're getting those $60,000, $40,000 bonus checks, you know, if the money's rolling in, you should look like money, basically. And she wanted them to be thinner. She wanted them to have like all the newest bags and the newest clothes. And she just wanted them to look like money essentially. So if they weren't looking like that, um, especially as mentors, which is the highest level in the company, then Deanne was not happy with that. Um, you know, which is sad, um, especially as African-American, you're just like, why? Like you, you're just taking advantage of people. Why do they all have to look a certain way and kind of be like this Stepford wife-esque, you know, look to them? So basically what they had to do in order to evade the Washington state government is to tell their highest level people they could no longer make money on recruiting. They had to make money on sales because that would make them a multi-level marketing company versus a pyramid scheme. So when that happened, their bonus checks were cut in half. People lost houses, people you know, when they changed the payment structure, everything just completely changed for these top level people who were previously receiving, you know, 60,000, 40,000, even, you know, just 20,000 a month. Like that's tons of money. People that were receiving this kind of money per month, their checks just dropped in half. And then on top of that, a bunch of people left the company when LuLaRoe allowed them to do a buyback program where they could sell back all their clothes to LuLaRoe and get their money back. 
So, you know, this is something that really just crushed the business model. So many women that were up in the higher levels of the company just lost, you know, so much money, thousands of dollars, properties, because they were encouraged through LuLaRoe, Deanne and Mark and all the upper level marketing people to look like money. Keep buying these bags, keep buying these cars, get that new house, go fix your body, go on amazing vacations, like spend, spend, spend. So you look like you're making money and the more money you look like you're making, the more people that will gravitate to you and come to your team and the more money you'll actually be making. So it was just terrible to see so many women get into debt. And then just to kind of wrap it up, it was like they exploited these mothers and told them they'd have time freedom and you can make full-time money on part-time work and all this stuff. And essentially all it got for the majority of women that joined were was a ton of debt um not being able to spend time with their children because they've kind of isolated themselves into this LuLaRoe cult you know where they only hang out with LuLaRoe we only do stuff for LuLaRoe so many of them have like gotten divorced don't even have full custody of their kids anymore all from being in this business so it's just extremely sad it was a well done documentary um I just encourage everybody to watch it in full you'll probably get different things from it than what I got from it but you just have to always remember to kind of think for yourself and any opportunity that's really good won't cause you to have to put you know so much of your own money into it initially there's no good opportunity that they're just like but first give me five thousand dollars it just doesn't work like that um and she took advantage of a lot of good people. They both did. And the company's still open. You know, they have pending lawsuits with the state of Washington. They settled with a couple women that were in the documentary over, you know, buyback claims and stuff like that. So they've put a lot of money out to to make some of these lawsuits go away. But they can't fight the state that way. I don't think the state's going to settle. So we'll see. I mean, people are really waiting for them to close um, some of the employees were just like, I can't believe I was forced to do some of the things that I did. Um, and they really can't wait for the end of LuLaRoe. So it was definitely really, really interesting. If you have a second or five hours, <laughs> I would definitely give that a watch and stay tuned for the outro comments. All right, T-Crew, this is my least favorite part of the podcast where I have to say goodbye to you. Um, Thank you so much for sharing, listening to the podcast. I'm thinking about doing merch. So if that's something that you guys are interested in, um, leave a comment in the community tab of this podcast. If you're listening to Spotify or find us on our Instagram at T-TalkWithShaw or our Facebook of the same name, T-TalkWithShaw. And just let me know if you guys would be interested in merch because I'm kind of thinking about doing that as well as maybe like bi-weekly lives on Instagram. I don't know if that's something that you guys would be interested in, like doing the live and just talking about some of the topics that are happening. You know, you guys could go live with me and give your two cents. Like, let me know what you think about that. Um, as always, arrest the cops that killed Brianna Taylor. We won't stop until she gets the justice that she rightly deserves. Have a beautiful day or night wherever you are. And I love you for listening. Bye.